come to the preaching of God's word and the feeding of God's flock. And uh, for that, I'd like us to turn to two passages, one in the Old Testament and the other in the New. Genesis 4, 1 through 9 is the first passage consideration, which will be the text for this morning as well. So Genesis chapter 9. Let's say 9-4. Sorry about that. Genesis chapter 4, verses 1 through 9. So here, God's word. And Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived, and bare a king, and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. And she again bare his brother Abel. And Abel was a keeper of sheep. But Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in process of time it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. And Abel he also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering, but unto Cain and his offering he had not respect. And Cain was very wroth. And his countenance fell. And the Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou wroth? Why is thy countenance fallen? If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted? If thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door. And unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. And Cain talked with Abel his brother. And it came to pass, when they were in the field, that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and slew him. And the Lord said unto Cain, Where is Abel thy brother? And he said, I know not. Am I my brother's keeper? Thus ends the reading of this portion. Now we go to 1 John 3, 10 through 18. 1 John 3, 10 through 18. Hear God's word here. In this, the children of God are manifest, and the children of the devil. Whosoever doeth not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loveth not his brother. For this is the message that ye heard from the beginning, that we should love one another, not as Cain, who was of that wicked one, and slew his brother. And wherefore slew he him, because his own works were evil and his brother's righteous. Marvel not, my brethren, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. Hereby perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Thus ends the reading of God's word. Shall we pray? Father, we ask that your Holy Spirit would indeed enlighten our minds, that he would indeed 
work in our hearts to have an affection for you and an affection for others who are made in your image and work in our wills that we may be doers of your word and not hearers only, deceiving our own selves. In Christ's name, amen. keeper or something that is the derivative of that and my my brother's keeper there's a lot of hatred in the world why do you think there is war or even rumors of war in this case war such as in the Ukraine and also when you think how the church is not always setting a good example so what can one expect, such as when James would chime in, when he said, from whence come wars and fightings among you, speaking of the church, speaking of Christians, come they not hence even of your lusts that war in your members? He goes on to say in another place, but you have bitter envy and strife, where? In your hearts. Glory not. Why not? I guess the truth. This wisdom, he calls this wisdom, but not the kind you think it is. The wis this wisdom that descendeth from, not from above, but from beneath. Earthly, sensual, and devilish wisdom. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. And it started when Adam and Eve first sinned against God. It started in the Garden of Eden where they were expelled from and then were forced to live under the curse. As it says in Genesis 3, 17 through 19. Just a few verses before. Genesis 3, 17 through 19. And unto Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread, till thou return unto the ground, for out of it wast thou taken, for dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return. Not only was the ground cursed, they were cursed. As Galatians 3.10 reminds us, Cursed is everyone that continues not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. 
However, we're not left hanging there with no hope. For it goes on to say, for Christ was made a curse for us. Cursed is he who hangeth on a tree. In this case, that would be the tree of Calvary. And so that would mean that they, our first parents, and us would struggle in our relationships as well with God, our relationship with God, and our relationship with each other. Eve, nonetheless, I'm sorry, Adam and Eve, nonetheless trusted in the coming Redeemer, which God had promised to them. There at the very occasion of their having fallen from grace, God would provide another way instead of the covenant of works as it is called, or the covenant of, of life, would provide a covenant of grace and eternal life through a mediator. When, he, when the Lord said to the serpent, I have put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed, it, Christ, shall bruise his head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Speak of Jesus Christ, who is to come. But even saved by Jesus Christ, we struggle with problems, do we not? Because we still have the sin nature in us. This body of death, as the Apostle Paul describes it. And we'll have that until the very end of this journey in life. And so we are not guaranteed uh, a bed of roses, except in the sense that, that it's a rose garden of thorns on the stems. Because we are sinners, but thanks be to God that we are sinners with a Savior than those who are sinners without a Savior. God made us to be social beings so that we need each other and depend upon each other. There is no such thing as one being able to live alone, even though there are many who live alone. And I describe this as interdependency. We are interdependent with God. We are interdependent with one another. Why do you think God put us in families? Why do you think God put us in his church? Why we are not lone ranger Christians who are finding our own way into the kingdom of God and finally to heaven. And just as God created Eve for the purpose of helping Adam, being his help meet, but it was not good that man be alone. And also, they had a family, eventually many children, which was the start of the human race. It had to be. Am I, am I right in my in my uh, uh, assessment or my saying that, yes. Because how else would there be us? That interdependency extended throughout the entire household of Adam and Eve. But in our story, the attention is directed to two sons, the first two siblings, Cain and Abel. In verse 1 of our passage again, in Genesis 4, and Adam knew Eve his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain 
The word came, the name means acquired, acquired from God or the Lord, and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. And she again bear his brother Abel. By the way, his name has the meaning of breath or the frailty of life. And these were most descriptive of their condition in life. One was an acquirer, as it were, a go-getter, someone who seemed to accomplish things, who was in the, uh, in the prime of, of uh, good health. And the other, almost the very opposite. Now, we are not islands to ourselves, cast upon the vast ocean of the world, like Gilligan's Island. God did not make us that way. It's really true that we need each other. We depend upon our fellow men. We cannot live outside of a nation. Well, some few may have endeavored to do that. Because just as we need God and depend upon God, really, yes, contrary to what the average atheistic or agnostic unbeliever that's out there on the streets such as those that I and others would encounter on the campuses would say we need God we depend upon God and an evidence of that is in our need and dependence upon one another think about that how God put us in families as I said already how God put us in his church how God put us in societies and communities provide services, be they bartering kinds, such as what our predecessors did, or actual services and goods that are provided through businesses. And thus we are bound to one another to care for each other, hopefully to take some personal responsibility for the welfare of our fellow human beings. I think this needs to be said, especially in these times when, when people are just going every which direction that way. And we can begin right with our own flesh and blood, with what has been called our kid and kin. As the Bible tells us to do, such as when there's needs in the church, it's families, relatives that take that responsibility on first. But then when there are none, or when the relatives can't, then the church, meaning your brethren, brothers and sisters in Christ, come into the picture. Cain and Abel were siblings that grew up together under their parents' roof. I'm sure they loved each other as brothers growing up together, as they should, even in an already fallen world. Cain took care of his younger brother Abel, especially at a much younger, tender age. It was expected on the part of parents that the children that the older do that with the younger, even as in cultures like my own. That is the prevailing custom. And when that is not in place, then there's something wrong. And of course, it's God's will. But something happened when the two brothers grew up and became young men. One day, Cain became very angry at Abel. It says that Abel was a keeper of the sheep, 
Cain was a tiller of the ground. Verse 3, and the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. He was taught right. He was taught the catechism, as it were. He was raised by his family, by his mother and by his father, under the word. They were covenant children, living in a covenant home. And it goes on in verse 4, And Abel, he also brought up, brought of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof. The Lord had respect unto Abel and his offering, but to Cain and his offering he had not respect. Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. And so what happened? God accepted the worship of one, but rejected the worship of the other. That's what happened, as black and as white as that is. You see, God does not consider the prayers of the ungodly. He counts them as abomination. Because they're not in the Lord. And that is so important to be in the Lord. God counseled Cain about it in verse 6 and 7. Why are you angry? Why is your face the way it is, you know how you can tell by looking at someone's face how, how he is on the inside. Sometimes you can't, you, one cannot hide that, especially when one is angry. And I might say not only angry against, in this case, one's brother, but against God. Against God, because it was God who rejected his offering and accepted his brothers instead. Last, this counsel was to no avail. God talked with Cain. And God stopped talking with Cain. Next we see Cain talking with his brother Abel, and you know what happened after that, right? But that led to how he committed premeditated murder. Now, God confronted Cain about his heinous act. He did talk to him another time, verse 9. Where is Abel thy brother? And he said, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? So after this conflict between the two brothers that led to Cain's murdering Abel, God shows up at the crime scene as a detective of sorts. Confront Cain and challenged Cain to give an account of the whereabouts of his brother Abel. He was giving an opportunity to fess up. You know how it's done, right, in the legal system? And if you do, you get your, your prison sentence knocked down. But his reply was, I might want this keeper. Just like one of those rhetorical questions. You know what a rhetorical question is? It's not something that necessarily has to be answered. Because for Cain, the answer was, no way. No way am I my brother's keeper. I'm not responsible for keeping track of him. He's an adult. He's a grown man. He can look out for himself. Of course, God knew all along what had transpired. There's nothing hid from the eyes of God. He knew that Cain had killed his younger brother, Abel, in cold blood. He 
Because blood is right there. Later on in the account, you could see God say, whoa, 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 what's this? I, I know his DNA. I made him. You killed him. Cain's answer when asked about Abel's whereabouts by my brother's people was an, was an outright denial of his God-given responsibility to love and to care for his brother. Without being direct with God, it was his way of saying, I hate Abel. I hate him. And I want no more to do with him, and I wash my hands of it and stop talking to me about him. Do you think people can get this way? Do you think people can get this way who have been raised in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ under the word of God? Of course, he won't have anything more to do with him because he's gone. Before he had loved his brother, this was no longer the case. Something had changed in Cain's heart when God rejected his offering and accepted his brother's instead. That event had changed his attitude once and for all against his brother from being that of love to being one of that of hate. In actuality, it reveals what was the case all along, according to what we read in the New Testament, which is testimony of this event. And that is that Cain was never of God, but of Satan. As we read in 1 John 3, in this the children of God are manifest and the children of the devil. There are two classes. So whoever doeth not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loveth not his brother. And this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. That's the law of God. Not as Cain, who was of that wicked one, who slew, killed his brother, murdered his brother. And wherefore slew he him? Because his own works were evil. And his brother is righteous. This is the Bible's explanation as to the motive in the very first murder in the history of mankind. And this is what sets the tone for every such atrocity against that commandment, sixth commandment. And there have been many murders since. Every year, they, they surge, especially in this time. Jesus teaches us that, that murder begins where? In the heart. In Matthew 5, 21 to 22. You have heard that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not kill or murder. Whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. But I say unto you, that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whosoever shall say to his brother Raka shall be in danger of the council. But 
whosoever shall say, Thou fool, shall be in danger of hell fire. Just to cut to the chase and explain what our Lord is saying. Matthew Henry was one that we have all of us uh, come to know and love and have resorted to as a commentator of, uh, the, of the Holy Scriptures, wrote. He tells them that given opprobrious language to our brother is tongue murder. Tongue murder. Calling him Raka and thou fool. And this is done with mindless and for no good end to convince others of their vanity and folly. It is not sinful. So to say that someone is, is foolish, for example, in light of certain uh, ignorance or certain things said that uh, uh, were not uh, wise and were not difficult, uh, that's not in itself wrong. Thus James says, O vain man, and Paul, thou fool, and Christ himself, O fools, and slow to heart. But when it proceeds from anger and malice within, it is a smoke that fire of that fire which is kindled from hell and falls under the same character. Now, raka is a scornful word, which Solomon in the Proverbs calls a proud wrath. Proud wrath. That's in Proverbs 21. 24. Proud and haughty scorner is his name who doeth in proud wrath. Which tramples upon our brother, disdains to set him even at uh, even with the dogs of our flock. Which is another way of saying puts him down, looks down on him, especially in public. Thou fool is a spiteful word and comes from hatred. Looking upon him, not only as mean and not to be honored, but as vile and not to be loved. Thou wicked man, thou reprobate. Have you heard some people talk about how you, you, you're a reprobate. You're someone who is going to hell. You should never, ever go that far, should you? Especially you who know the truth. This is a malicious censuring and condemning of him as a bad man of God. Now, this is a breach of the sixth commandment. Malicious slanders. Oh, wow. Slanders. It goes on everywhere. On the social media, it's like back and forth, back and forth, right? And censures are poison under the tongue that kills secretly and slowly. In the name of our neighbor, which is better than life, is thereby stabbed and murdered. And it is an evidence of such an ill will to our neighbor as would strike at his life if it were in our power. If we could kill him with words, we would do it. And we could just walk away. It's so easy to use our, our words in such a manner to destroy people. We don't have to say more, do more than, than just to do as Satan did and just suggest. The Heidelberg Catechism, question 106, asks, does this commandment, the sixth, speak only of killing? Answer, no, but in forbidding, forbidding murder, God teaches us that he abhors its very roots, namely envy, hatred, anger, and desire of revenge. And that in his sight, all these are hidden murder. We heard of tongue murder. 
Well, this one is even deeper than that. So you can murder someone in your heart and be just as guilty you stand before the bar of God as someone who actually put the knife into someone's back. Keep this explanation tucked in the back of your mind whenever you learn of another murder. It may not explain every murder case, but you can be sure that Satan is somehow tied to each and every one of them as the instigator, as the provoker, and as the accuser of the brethren. Our Lord says, He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. But unlike Satan, Christ came that we might have life. He says, in comparing himself or contrasting himself to Satan, the thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. Spiritual life, eternal life. He came to seek and to save that which is lost. He came to save us as miserable and as undeserving and Wretched sinners that we are. In conclusion, we live in a world where everyone minds their own business. That's the spirit of the age, right? As it has been. And the church has pretty much, I won't say pretty much, but uh, has to a certain extent advocated its role as a conduit of God's blessings to the government. Yes, the government will take care of you. Not God will take care of it. These will be his people, his church. Socialism, communism, which is, I'm giving my own surmise, the government controlling personal and private wealth and us and redistributing it and us to the masses is our present course. Believe it or not. Just bring it out there. We can discuss this at another time. This is not the platform for that. And in fact, Big Brother has become our brother's keeper for all of us. And I'm not throwing this out to start anything, okay? I'm just trying to understand our role and to contrast it with what's out there. Does, that does not change God's redemptive plan nor his will for the ages is represented by the great commission of the great commandment to God in all the world and to preach the gospel, to teach the gospel to every creature. Whereas John would put it again in another place in 1 John 2, 8 and 9 and uh, 8, 9 to 11. Again, a new commandment I write unto you, which thing is true in him and in you, because the darkness is past and the true light has now come and shineth. He that saith, he is in the light, and hated his brother, he is in darkness even until now. But he that loveth his brother abideth in the light, and there is none occasion of stumbling in him. But he that hateth his brother is in darkness, and walketh in darkness, and knoweth not whither he goeth, because the darkness hath blinded his eyes. So, what am I saying? God's people the church, the redeemed of the Lord, must lead the way. 
you must be your brother's keeper, and I must be my brother's keeper, to those who are not yet brethren, by being reconcilers of the same, as Paul would call us, ambassadors for Christ. For he hath made Jesus his son to be sin for us. He knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And thus we are to beseech all to be reconciled to God. You and I must be our brother's keeper to those who are our brothers and sisters in the Lord. In a restorative way, as restorers. Brethren, said the Apostle Paul, if a man be overcome in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness. Consider thyself, lest thou be tempted also. So this is how we deal with problems in our interpersonal relationships. Not being in one another's face, but seeking to come alongside one another, and hopefully to be able to remedy this privately, and then if necessary, with the counsel of those who are respected and who are revered in the church for their piety, and for their godliness, and for their proactiveness in being the Lord God. And we must also be our brother's keeper to the poor and needy all around us. And thus it will cost you something, like, for example, our support of the pregnancy care clinic and the walk for life. First century, they were faced with poverty then, and they had no government uh, intervention uh, through uh, 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 government uh, uh, support, did they? They certainly couldn't appeal to the Roman government. They would be the last that you would appeal to for such help. No, they would they would turn to themselves, to one another, such as the Church of Macedonia would would turned to the church, the churches in Judea that were suffering persecution and famine. And it was said by the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 8. Moreover, brethren, if you want to find it, it's in 2 Corinthians 8.1. 2 Corinthians 8.1 and following. Macedonia, how that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their liberality. For to their power I bear a record, yea, and beyond their power, that they were willing of themselves, praying us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministry of ministering to the saints. 5-2. And this they did, uh, as we hoped, but first gave their own selves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. They dug deep into their pockets, these Macedonians. They were not rich by any stretch of the imagination, no. But they were hilarious givers, cheerful givers, as the scriptures, as our King James describes them. 
cheerful givers, hilarious, meaning sacrificial. They would give whatever was in their pockets. And if they could give more, they would, the shirt off their back, which they did. And more than that, they gave themselves. They gave their hearts to God's people. They were just so concerned for other brethren that were suffering, in this case, more than them, that money was no object. Money was no object. And when the church of Judea said, no, 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 we can't do that, please. That's too much. Keep it for yourselves. You have your families to think of. Take care of yourselves. See how that works. No, we insist. Take it, please. That's how the conversation would go back and forth. And you're just like listening to all this and saying, oh, this is, this is you know, this is wonderful. <laughs> this is marvelous. It was the start of a new relationship kingdom building that turned the world upside down is the testimony of the church to this present day. It is the model example. The archetype. Well, actually the archetype is heaven, but it's the type of Christ and his bride and the celebration of the marriage feast of the Lamb. Wow, that is just going to be an extravaganza par excellence, bar none. How can we say we love God when those whom we can't say that we are to love, we, we don't? No man, is an, if not, no man is an island to himself. John Doan said that. No man is an island entirely of itself. That's where that came from back in 1573 to 1631. Every man is a piece of a continent, a part of the main. Meaning we are independent and we need each other, especially in these last times. As Paul said, this know also that in the last days, perilous times shall come and we're here. The Good Samaritan rightly understood that your neighbor is someone who is near at hand and needs your help and is crying for that. And Paul says, as we have opportunity, let us do good unto all, especially those of the household of faith. And this is how you may be more fully assured that you are blessed. We know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his mother or mother shall pray. Father in heaven, we are so thankful to you for your word. We thank you that we have basic instruction before leaving earth, Bible. Thank you, Lord. And thank you for your Holy Spirit who imparts that truth to our hearts and minds by his sovereign power and works in us mightily that we might work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Thank you, Lord. And all this that we might be light shining in the world for Jesus Christ. Let me pray.